Got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast with Shay Hoodman, President of God Questions Ministries. So welcome to the God Questions Podcast and your questions, biblical answers. On today's episode, we've got two of the ladies from Mama Bear Apologetics on the show. We're going to be talking about the ministry that God's given them and also their new book that's coming out. So, so Amy and Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So um, for our listeners who may not be super familiar with Mama Bear Apologetics, um, what is it? Why was this ministry launched? And what do you view as the specific calling of Mama Bear Apologetics? Yeah, so um, I created Mama Bear Apologetics probably five or six years ago, and it was actually a response to a friend of mine, something that she said. Uh, she was talking about how there's a large demographic of women out there who won't read something unless it's by women for women. And that was just crazy to me just because I, I'd always been a daddy's girl. I was you know, in the sciences in college, so I was very comfortable sometimes being the only woman in the room. Uh, so when I heard that, I thought, well, goodness, who's reaching all the women with apologetics and especially the moms? Because, you know, it's great to have youth apologetics. We have that stuff going on. Uh, lots of friends of ours that do that. But really, when you think about it, uh, mom is in the home with the kids. She is the one that is getting the spiritual questions first. And so um, the name Mama Bear uh, came from another friend of a family's. Her son actually walked away from the faith and she started asking him, well, what are your questions? What, what is it that made you walk away? And so she started studying philosophy and apologetics and all this stuff when she normally would never have done something like that. She was, she was just a fitness instructor. She didn't go to college. And I thought that's an instinct right there of like something that she wouldn't do for herself, but she will dive in with both feet uh, when it's something with her kids. And I thought that's like a mama bear right there. Um, and so that's kind of was the goal is to raise up kind of an army of women who were ready to study apologetics and philosophy and all those things uh, to help give their kids a really strong foundation in the Christian faith. And so that's kind of where Mama, Pear, uh, Mama Bear Apologetics came from. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm very familiar with the ministry, been a fan for a while. Um, my wife mm-hmm. is as well. But um, practically speaking, how does that work out? Well, what's the day? What does it look like on a day to day basis? What does Mama Bear Apologetics actually do? Well, one of the things I really wanted to do from the beginning um, was to have a lot of audio options for women, just because a lot of times they don't have time to sit down and read all the blogs, but they can multitask with audio stuff. Uh, We've gotten a little bit behind in our podcasts right now because I had major surgery a couple months ago. But so it's that. But the other thing is speaking to the women to help them understand the concepts and then helping them break it down in words that their kids can understand, giving them different um, either categories or little games that they can play with their kids that uh, will then reinforce what's being taught and just giving them the skills to where they can be the apologist in their homes. And so, uh, Amy, um, what is your role at Mama Bear Apologetics? So I get to do a couple of really fun things with Mama Bear Apologetics as Hillary and I were co-hosting the, uh, the podcast. So I got to do amazing podcasts. I've been able to interview some amazing fellow apologists throughout there. I also write for Mama Bear and occasionally speak at churches and, and wherever there's need conferences. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those to where everyone at Mama Bear, we kind of wear a couple different hats. So we've all done podcasts. Uh, we've got a, another Mama Bear, Lindsay Medenwalt, who does a lot of our worldview stuff, but she's also done podcasts. And so we kind of do a little bit of that juggling act. It's just mm. podcasts, writing, and speaking wherever we're, we're called. I, I totally get that. I mean, GotQuestions.org is a small ministry as well. So everyone here wears some multiple hats, even the ones that 
don't fit real well. So here's a question that I would like to ask both of you and which one of you answers it first or second doesn't matter. But um, why would you say, generally speaking, again, this is a generalization, uh, that women typically aren't that interested in apologetics? Um, I think apologetics up until recently has kind of been a little bit, a little bit of a boys club and it was, it was defense, but it was really more, they were defending the ideas and not necessarily defending the people, uh, who might get caught up with these ideas. So I think that in kind of generally men pioneer and women civilize. And so there was a lot of women who were turned off from apologetics because it just kind of felt like a Christian fight club to them and they just wanted to love people. But once we kind of just started taking all the information, same stuff that the guys are doing and reframing it to show this is how you can protect your kids from, as Frank Turk would say, the intellectual predators that are out there. One of the things that we also do that's kind of different from other apologetics is we are constantly trying to build bridges in the sense that we're trying to make sure that if we're encountering a worldview or an idea that is not biblical, we first try to look into it and say, what is the good that we can first affirm? Because a lot of times, just different worldviews or people who are having questions, they're, they're legitimately identifying a problem that maybe Christianity has kind of ignored. And so when you come alongside them and say, oh, yeah, you're right, I see that problem. Here's some of the good things you're pointing out. But what do you think about this? And then kind of bringing them back over to a more biblical worldview, it's very much... Um, unifying and discussional and um, not combative, whereas I think um, sometimes the, the apologetics in the past has always been about trying to prove a point. And just women just were, didn't, didn't really care to go around proving points. But when they saw their children being kind of taken in by these bad ideas, they did have that purpose to want to protect their children. Also, Mary Jo Sharp has noticed that uh, generally when she speaks to audiences and they have questions Usually the men who have questions are asking their own questions. And a lot of times the women who ask questions are asking questions on behalf of someone else. So women use it not as much to cement their own faith, but to help someone else along in their faith. So I think a lot of things we're doing are the same. It's just a really different approach that women have now really, really responded to. One of the things I've I've also noted just with or noticed with encounters with women is there is a little bit of intimidation around even the word apologetics. There have been women I've I've talked to. I'm like, oh, this is a great ministry. It's apologetics. They're like, oh no, that's too smart for me. Like they they think that it's it's really heady and and no, it's not. It's super accessible. And I think that's one of the reasons that there's almost had to been some ground that's had to been laid for women is to understand how practical mm-hmm. and how this has always been an aspect of the faith. And I think in some ways, the church, they've done a really great job with providing compassionate ministries for women. Um, but in a way, there's almost been a neglect of the intellectual side too. So, so many women, they have these great sort of heartfelt ministries, but the intellectual aspect is also just as important because we're also supposed to love God with our minds. And so many women that I've encountered, they get so excited of seeing this almost a new act of worship that they can do with God. And not only mm-hmm. see it as, oh, wow, I'm getting to know my savior deeper, but they can also see the practicality of it. Because especially with moms, right? We are not going to take something with us if it isn't practical and useful to what we need yeah. 
yeah. in our day-to-day lives because we're, ha- we're constantly having to juggle things. So in being able to see how practical this is, not only in our own spiritual formation, but with our children as well and their development, uh, that's been huge, I think, for women. It's because you're saying, oh, wow, it's not just, you know, the Sunday school classes and the veggie tales on the TV that's going to equip my kids. No, we, they need to be having these discussions because even young children, uh, my son, for example, was um, questioned about his faith in third grade. They're realizing that, okay, wait, there is a battlefield out there. We're given spiritual armor for a reason. We need to know how to use it. And not only do we need to know how to use it, we need to communicate it to our kiddos. So that's one thing that's so attractive about apologetics is it's getting to know our savior more. Uh, We're able to worship, uh, not just with maybe emotions, which women tend to be more on the emotional side. It's also the intellectual worship too. It's getting to know and answer those questions and feel the questions of our kiddos. Because anyone who's ever had a car ride with a kid longer than 20 minutes, they instantly turn into philosophers. And so they're going to ask these great (laughs) questions and it gives them the answers and the tools they do to be an effective witness to their kid and help raise up the next generation. So yeah, it's just debunking those myths that it's too heady. It's not, it's super accessible. It's practical. It's exciting and relevant to what's going on in culture today. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I love what you guys do. So it got questions. We've got a site for kids called gqkids.org where we seek to answer some of the questions we get in a more kid-friendly manner. And that's actually the site that my wife is the administrator of. And it's really interesting in that, okay, the quest, take, for example, the question, does God exist? Uh, I know how to answer that to an intellectual. I know how to answer that to um, a seeker or someone who studies the Bible, but how do I answer that question for a third grader? Mm-hmm. And that's I'll just very honestly a struggle for me. God has gifted me with being able to explain things, hopefully most of the time really well for adults, but for kids, I definitely struggle. So in your experience, specifically with apologetics, what are some of the keys that people need to realize when they're trying to explain some of these common questions related to apologetics that kids ask them. How do you answer that question differently for say a third grader versus a teenager or an adult? Well, I'm, I, I can just say um, in my experiences, it's trying to find out something that is within the child's experience that they are already familiar with. And then kind of using that as an analogy. I found that, especially when I used to teach, sometimes just giving the definition of something it would just go straight over their head but if they were taught how to categorize something that say, oh, it's like this or, oh, it's like that, which, of course, we all know you can't do with the Trinity, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but with a bunch of other stuff, you can do that and help them just kind of with things that they're already familiar with and drawing analogies, I find is very helpful. Yeah. And movies are super helpful, especially kids. You know, you can kids can spout out facts about Minecraft like you would not believe. And so, you know, if you can point to something that they already understand, whether it's through a Disney movie, a cartoon, a video game, that sort of thing, that really helps kids. That really turns on the light. Like, oh, OK, I get this now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, using using those sort of artistic and cultural references is really helpful because, yeah, that's that already lays the groundwork for for some kiddos. Um, so again, this is the Got Questions podcast. I'm with um, Hillary Morgan Ferrer and Amy Davison, two of the Mama Bears at Mama Bear Apologetics. And I, I realize you two just recently released a new book, and mm-hmm. it's um, Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. So what led you to um, write this book and what, who is this book primarily for? Or what's your intended audience? 
Well, what led us to write this book was the publisher kept asking for it over and over again. And I kept saying no until the Lord really started putting it on my heart that, yeah, we need to take this. So this was actually a topic that I was scared to approach. Uh, Luckily, Amy had just joined the team. And so she was actually starting to build a little bit of an audience for around like purity culture and some of the sexuality stuff. So I immediately thought, okay, maybe if Amy does it with me, we'll we'll be good. But um, I think it's absolutely needed right now because there are so many things that our kids are having to deal with that we didn't have to deal with when we were kids. We didn't have to, you know, like the sex talk always started with talking about, you know, the differences between boys and girls. The idea of having to prove or to like establish that boys and girls exist and that those are actual categories that are grounded in biology that we can know. I mean, that's something that would have never had to occur to us before. So Mm -hmm. it's, Almost like um, sexuality itself has been deconstructed. If, if you have been paying attention to all these deconstruction stories and deconversion stories, it's basically deconstructing the faith to where you, if you break it up into all these little parts, suddenly they don't even seem like they fit together. I think the same thing has been going on with sexuality, that we're just deconstructing what it means to be male, what it means to be female, what it means to be married, what sex is intended for, to where it's just uber, uber confusing. So uh, the book we have in three parts. The first part is really going through a biblical theology of what sex is and why it's important. And then the second part is going into something that a lot of parents have been blissfully unaware of, which is what is actually being taught in the schools. Because um, this used to be kind of, you know, ivory tower, collegiate, academic, theories, gender theory, you know, that started back in the 60s and the 70s. And those they've trickled all the way down into elementary classrooms. And so I think there's a lot of people that are just unaware that their kids are having to deal with this in the first place. Uh, So we go through what uh, what their kids are being taught. And then the final section, we look at what are some of the things that are specifically tripping kids up the most? And that would be like um, pornography, same-sex attraction, transgenderism. And uh, Amy has a really great chapter in there on purity culture, uh, where she looks at what did we tr- what did we try to do like back in the 90s and 2000s and kind of how did that blow up in our face? Um, so sometimes you have to look at what was tried and how it failed before you can start having a better integrated approach. And so we're, we're hoping that the book as a whole will be a really good integrated approach to helping kids understand from all these different dimensions, uh, the different aspects of sexuality. And just for our listeners to know, um, we'll include links to the, both the Mama Bears, the website where you can learn more about them, Hillary and Amy and the ministry God's given them, both in the um, description field on YouTube at podcast.gotquestions.org and also on the show notes for this episode. But Amy, I would love to hear a little bit more about purity culture because that was the era I grew up in. I remember um, reading several books on the on the topic and always finding them interesting, but at the same time, almost unrealistic to a certain extent. So um, yeah. tell us a little bit more about what God gave you to, to write in that chapter. Yeah. So that, that subject there kind of came out of the blue. I, that was, or for me anyways, uh, I had grown up in Washington state and we, I don't know, it seemed like it was very prevalent within the South. It didn't quite reach 
where I lived by the, when I was in junior high and high school. So I completely missed out on it. What tipped me off to it are all of a sudden all these uh, deconversion stories that were coming out and were making very popular. And especially Nadia Boltz Weber, uh, the fact that she had this um, statue made of female anatomy uh, out of <laughs> melted down purity rings as sort of a, um, a mockery of what purity culture tried to do. And so it was, it was awesome to be able to do this because the seminary I was going to, one of the professors who worked there was actually one of the ones who wrote most of the curriculum for purity culture. So it was great because I could go right into our seminary library and check out the original curriculums. And that's what I found was lacking in so many of these stories is everybody pointed to the hurt, the hurt that they experienced. And that's totally valid and genuine. But I was like, okay, but what did it really say? What was the original intention of the curriculum? And again, I was so blessed to be able to go. Um, I checked out all the books, which freaked out the librarian. <laughs> she was like, what, what exactly are you doing? Are you doing research? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm planning for a really awesome weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably ended up on the prayer team list for that one. But being able to go and look at the original curriculum and see, you know what, the, the original curriculum in it's in at the start really wasn't that bad. It advocated mm -hmm. so much of what we do here at Mama Bear. It's parental involvement. It affirmed that parents were the ones that were primary uh, in shepherding their child's sexuality, that it wasn't supposed to be one talk. It was something that they were supposed to minister to all along and that the church was just supposed to help build up. And even the message for the most part wasn't that bad. It pointed back to uh, redemption and how things were supposed to be. And so it was like, wow, you know, in its original sense for the most part, it wasn't that bad. But then what ended up happening, right, is people get involved. And anytime you involve human <laughs> beings, there's going to be brokenness. And that's exactly what, what? happened. <laughs> I know, right? Shocker. Um, and so the problem that was so misguided within purity culture is purity culture tried to control an action without changing the mindset. And if you read Romans 1, 18 through 32, you see that it's not the actions. That was actually one of the last things that happened. What changed first, what caused people to fall into sin was the change of the mind. And purity culture just didn't address that. Purity culture, which probably why you thought it was so unrealistic and why so many people said it was unattainable, is because it was kind of like the law. It had all these rules that nobody could hope to meet up to. So you just sort of felt like this failure. And you're kind of like, well, I've already screwed up. I'm already damaged goods, which unfortunately was a common message within purity culture, I might as well enjoy my fun, you know, because there's no hope. And that was, uh, that was one of the tragic things I noticed in some of the purity culture books that I read through. There was one in specific, uh, in that sticks out in my head is within the first two pages, it compared and contrasted two couples. It was a, an elderly married couple and a single mom, mm -hmm. the elderly married couple, because they had saved themselves for marriage, had this amazing marriage and they were still affectionate and playful. And the single woman, uh, she had multiple divorces, a child, that sort of thing. And she was absolutely miserable. And the reason why that was is because she hadn't been sexually faithful. And I was like, well, wait a second, that's kind of making some promises about, okay, as long as I keep myself quote unquote pure, then I'm going to have this amazing lifelong marriage, which, you know, we're not, we're not promised. Um, and then two, I started counting. I said, okay, we have this, this kind of bleak story. How long until we get to the redemption of Christ? It took 17 pages 
to get to how Christ can redeem. And I'm like, oh my gosh, think of it from a teen standpoint. Let's say you went a little too far with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're reading that story and it is so hopeless and you have to wait another several chapters to get to the redemption of Christ. I mean, what happens to these kids who said, you know what, there's no hope and I tossed the book aside. So many kids walked away from the church because they failed to hear that redemption. And so it, yeah, it's one thing that it, it had these great intentions, but it just sort of fell flat any, anyone who ever went through any of the purity culture sort of rallies, um, which they actually had rallies. You can look it up on YouTube. I, I, I watched several. I'm like, oh, wow, this was legitimately a thing. Uh, any of the examples that were used there were completely broken because, again, it tried to use a single use object and compare a single use object with a human being, which the human being has so much depth that a single use object does not. So any example that was used in some of the most popular were a licked lollipop. If you went too far with a girl, you were like a lollipop that's already been licked. Who's going to want that? Um, girls at one of the rallies were compared to if girls, if you went too far with a guy, you were like a magazine that already is ripped and rumpled and that that's only fit to be tossed on the floor. And it's like, there is no hope in that because anyone who's ever bought a magazine knows once it's creased, you can't get those creases out. Another that was really tragic in this video that uh, a pastor mentioned was a rose is this pastor had been talking about the importance of purity and he had the entire auditorium pass around a single rose. And by the time the rose got to the back of the auditorium and was brought forward, it was mashed. The leaves had all fallen off. The petals had fallen off. It was broken and messed up. I mean, from the hundreds of people that had touched it. And he goes, now look at this. This is what happens when you go too far with someone who's going to want this. And that pastor was sitting there going, Jesus, Jesus wants that. But no, but so many kids did not hear that because it was all scare tactics. And no, you can't do this and you can't do that. And God forbid you go into a movie theater because that's where sin really takes place. And (laughs) there was just no hope again, because it was all about controlling the action without elevating the beauty of sexuality and pointing to the redemption of Christ and focusing on the mindset first. And that's ultimately, I think, why a lot of it failed. Oh, thank you. Uh, I love how you explain that. That some of the observations took me a lot longer to come to. I remember reading the book and came away from it like, what exactly am I supposed to kiss goodbye and why? Oh, and gosh, what's yeah. the actual alternative? I, I don't know. But I'm addressing the heart rather than focusing on actions. I, it's exactly a grace versus law. There's so many different analogies there. But um, so again, thank you for this outlining that chapter because um, I think that's hugely important to not throw away everything yeah. that was involved with the purity movement, but instead fixing the errors and fixing the focus. And then there's still so much of that that's true and good that we can teach our kids. So, so Hillary, back to briefly um, what you discussed earlier, what would you say is the number one thing is being taught to kids in public schools that parents might not be aware of? Uh, Yeah, I would say this was a chapter that Amy and I worked on together, which is the sex positivity chapter. And I would say the number one thing that kids are being taught about sex is that basically if it's consensual and it brings pleasure, then it's moral. And that's the only criteria that they're given for whether or not something should be engaged in or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say two things. I would say that. Um, which I think that even our uh, Christian, our Christian kids can probably spot saying, I think there's something more that I know it has something to do with marriage. I think the place where they're really tripping up some of our Christian kids is in this sphere of social justice, where instead of just this idea of we need to defend the cause of the oppressed, they are classifying entire groups of people 
as the oppressed and entire groups of people as the oppressor. Uh, and when it comes to something like, say, a sexual minority, meaning um, either bisexual or uh, homosexual or maybe someone in transgender, it's basically to love like Jesus loved. You need to basically sit down and be quiet and be an ally and uplift these voices um, for these people that have been traditionally oppressed by Christianity. And I think that for our kids who are really desiring to love like Jesus, who knew that Jesus went to the outcast and the oppressed, they fall prey for that. But what happens, though, is once you start affirming this entire group, you have to affirm both the actions and the person at the same time. And so I think they're starting to see things that the uh, distortions in sexuality, things that the Lord has called sin, they're lumping that into someone's identity and then protecting that. And so in that sense, uh, I think schools, um, I'm not, not all schools, but just this secular worldview is kind of turning their own Christian worldview against itself and disguising it as if this is the Christian thing to do. And so that's where I think the, the kids are really confused when it comes to what they're learning about, about, about sex is they're just starting to uh, normalize and affirm things that the Bible normally wouldn't all in the name of loving your neighbor. And so Amy, what about you? What's another thing that some, our kids are being exposed to that um, parents um, definitely need to be aware of so they can give them a more biblical message and on how to speak truth in love. Yeah. One of the things that really sticks out to me is, is, uh, is, and it falls under the sex positivity umbrella. It's just anything you do with your body sexually is totally okay. As long as you, yeah, like you have that consent and pleasure being marketed there. Everything's normalized. In fact, even problems that arise from, let's say, hookup culture or experimentation, these are completely they're reduced. It's just like, okay, yeah, you know, you may get an STD, you have to check up on that. But you know what, it's all about, it's all about your own personal flourishing. Like this stuff is totally pushed aside. And you can even see this in magazines, articles in Teen Vogue, and that sort of thing, to where any sort of implication uh, or negative reaction that could come from this lifestyle is just sort of pushed aside as not a really big deal. There was even sort of a brief touch on this of the emotional fallout that comes from hooking up and hookup culture in general. That they were just saying, well, you know, it may take you a while to sort of distance yourself from your own emotions. Like you're going to feel kind of sad maybe if, you know, you sleep with a guy or you sleep with a girl and then they just get up and leave in the morning and there's no future conversations. But with enough practice, you'll get over that. And it, it's just like, wait a second, we're seeing the brokenness and the fallenness of the implications of this worldview, but yet we're completely glossing that over. Because I think mm -hmm. the, the reason why they're doing this is because if they don't gloss it over, it'll actually expose how problematic this is. And that's not what they want to do. They want to see this yeah. as a viable option. And as a health option because they're trying to get our, it, it's never been about sex, right? It, the issue has never been about sex. Even Satan, his goal isn't just to get kids to have sex. It's to deconstruct their entire worldview and to take it away from God as much as possible. So I think that is, and then one thing that Hillary wrote on that is also working its way into elementary school curriculums and school curriculums in general is this idea that you can experiment with your sexuality. Like how do you, uh, I've had kids ask, well, how do I know I'm not bi unless I practice this lifestyle? Um, gender, it's, that advocates these strict gender stereotypes uh, of maleness and femaleness. And if you don't adhere to any of those, well, that doesn't, they don't advocate for a range in, in femininity or in maleness. They just say, oh, no, you must be the other. And here, it's okay to go ahead and experiment. So it's this encouragement of practicing and partaking in this broken sexual worldview. And even if it's not overtly taught, it's one of those things that's implied within scripture. And that's where, you know, the, the opposite of that sex negativity, the only thing that counts is sex negativity 
negativity is heterosexual monogamous sex within marriage. That's the only way. And that is within the articles. That's what they say. That's the only way to be sex negative is that or thinking that another's uh, sexual actions is wrong or dangerous. They say that you actively have to shut that down. So what they're telling kids is you actually have to shut down the voice of the Holy Spirit conviction, as well as block out the scientific and psychological implications of this. You have to block that down to truly be sex positive. Otherwise, you are just being sex negative. If your friend wants to hook up with a couple guys or a couple girls one weekend and then do the opposite the next weekend, you need to be encouraging that or being supportive of that. Otherwise, you're sex negative. If you say, hey, that might be a dangerous thing that you're doing. Nope, that's sex negativity. And this is this is very dangerous, but it's working its way within our school systems because Planned Parenthood is very much involved with a lot of public schools. And so this is what we're seeing through. Hillary points out that one of the Planned Parenthood uh, videos even tells kids like, okay, you know what? You're going to be sexually active and guess what? You're going to get HPV. It's just what's going to happen. It's like, come on, folks. Mm-hmm. Since when did an STD become a life goal or a stage in development? I mean, this is not something that kids look forward to of getting their license and contracting their first STD. This just isn't how it's supposed to be. But again, they're trying to normalize the brokenness. So that way it doesn't make a blip mm-hmm. on their morality radar. Yeah, I would add to what Amy just said. Um, In looking at the uh, new sex education standards uh, or the national sex education standards that were done in 2020, it actually defines healthy sexual development as trying on all these identities. Mm -hmm. And so it's like if you want to develop in a healthy way, you're going to try all these things out before you decide who you are. And that's just that itself is just completely unheard of from a historic perspective of the fact that it's like, you know, how will I know I'm trans, I'm not transgender unless I go by a transgender name for a while, or how will I know if I'm not bisexual? Um, I would say the two things that are reaching kids the most are declaring themselves either uh, non-binary, meaning that they are not fully male or fully female, and declaring themselves bisexual just because they, you know, that it kind of leaves the door open for everything. And this is happening with Christian kids on a, a pretty astonishing basis. I've had lots of parents contact me and say, my daughter just went to college and she's only one of three cisgendered heterosexuals that she's met at her orientation so far. It's to be either a gender minority or a sexual minority now kind of confers this status where, where you're one of the cool kids. You know, we, we just had to deal with, you know, drinking to be the cool kid back when we were young, we didn't have to deal with having to claim that, you know, I'm partly male. So, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that that we just have to open up our eyes to and realize that this is happening right in front of us. Absolutely. I mean, Hillary and Amy, thank you so much for um, just giving us a, a little preview of the book. And I could not recommend the Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality anymore. I haven't had the chance to read the whole thing yet, but a couple other got questions the police have, and they absolutely loved it. So please check it out by the ebook or by the hard copy book, if that's your thing. Hugely important for those with kids, those seeking to minister to kids, um, because there's a lot that they're being fed in public schools and just in society that we as parents or as disciplers of youth need to be prepared for. So again, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and, it's great. Um, thank again, you. There'll be links to the Mama Bears um, Apologetics website and the, the books that they published included with this podcast episode. So this has been the Got Questions podcast. Got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Your questions, biblical answers. The Got Questions podcast. Check us out at podcast.gotquestions.org.